Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Dyslexia Devoted the podcast dedicated to building awareness, understanding, and strategies to help those with dyslexia. I'm your host, Lisa Parnello, dyslexia therapist and founder of Parnello Education Services. This show features information, stories, candid interviews, and experiences with dyslexia at all ages. Join me as we dive into today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Hello and welcome to episode two of Dyslexia Devoted. We already know the accommodations are essential for students with dyslexia and dysgraphia, but which options are really the easiest to use and which ones really work? In episode one, we talked about how accommodations are essential, but you need to work out the logistics on how to make them work. Today, we're going to talk about what your options are once you sort out the plan to make them feasible for the student with dyslexia. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know I added this podcast to a couple more streaming options, so be sure to subscribe and let me know which platform is your favorite podcast platform to use. The first accommodation we're going to be talking about is audiobooks and listening to text. When we think about students with dyslexia and their ability to grasp different skills, it's important to make sure that we're working at their intelligence level, not their reading level. And so this is where audiobooks come in. Because even after a student is able to learn how to read, it often still takes them significantly longer than their peers to read a text. So we want to make sure we're taking down that barrier and anything that requires even more time and energy to get basic homework assignments done. Research has proven that there's actually no difference to whether you've read a text or if you've listened to it. Even me, who does not actually have dyslexia, I tend to listen to a lot more books than I read now. I used to be a very avid reader of physical books, and then life got awfully busy, and commutes got a lot longer, and my work days got a lot longer, and I was finding I was not reading nearly as many books as I wanted to. So even I have switched to a lot more audio options for learning new information, as well as for reading for pleasure. Sometimes I might even go back and forth where I'm listening to it in the car, and then I might switch to a physical book when I get home so I can keep on going and maybe take away some of that technology if I'm feeling a little overstimulated. And it's important that we teach our students the different options that they have to read text because for them, it's not really a choice. It is really a way that is their ability to access the information in the world is through listening to it. We wanna take out any possible barriers that there might be that keeps them from being able to access the knowledge and information that their peers have. This episode is going to have a lot of different resources, so this is going to be one that you're really going to want to access the, the show notes for. This podcast, you're really going to want to access the show notes so that you have all of the resources linked up so as you're listening from wherever you are, if you're driving, you don't have to worry about writing anything down, that all the links will be listed in the show notes on parnelloeducation.com episode two. The first one I wanted to talk about is Read and Write for Google, and that is an extension that you can add into Google Chrome, and it can read off of any website. That becomes really helpful for students when their teachers don't have to do anything different for them. They can just send them 
the digital link the way they would any other student in their class. A lot of times, different schools have platforms where the students have links to their assignments and their things they're supposed to read on the internet. Read and Write is built into Google Chrome, and it is free for teachers. If you're a teacher, you can get free access to it, and then there's also some subscription options as well. So that is one that they can highlight, and it has a lot of different features that you can use on any website. It doesn't have to be anything special. Another option is the built-in software. For example, I have an Apple computer. There are a lot of built-in native software options already built into it. So within the show notes today, I've linked the directions on how you can utilize the text-to-speech option within the Apple platforms, and that way you have the directions to turn it on in case it is something that is on a device of yours that you just didn't know existed. There are other choices, such as Kindle Unlimited. That's one that I use all the time. They have a lot of different books, and that one tends to be really good if you're reading for pleasure and you just want to pick and choose different books to read and listen to, and it includes some magazine subscriptions and stuff too. When you're buying audiobooks all the time, it can become quite expensive. I really like Kindle Unlimited because I can pick and choose between different books each month, and it's the same price, and I can listen to as many of them every month as I choose. The only downside is that you don't really get to choose which books are on there, so some books are free and other ones are not. But thankfully, I've had a lot of authors who have their books within Kindle Unlimited so that I don't have to pay anything extra whether I listen to one book that month or 12 books that month. And so that makes it really easy for me. If you have a student who needs to read specific books and they need to have their textbooks and things like that, there are a couple options for that. One is Audible, and Audible has subscriptions that you can sign up and you get a certain number of credits every month. And I have worked with both students and teachers, and they find their Audible as not necessarily an option, but more of a mandatory way that they survive their life to make sure they get all of their required reading done. And it's something that really makes life a lot easier for them. It becomes something that it's what they thrive on is so that they aren't falling behind and trying to keep up even if they know how to read. It might take them a lot longer. And if you use some of these audio device platforms, almost all of them let you choose the speed. So that is really important because processing speed can be very different. So some students have great processing speed. They can listen at a faster rate than what is the standard speed of the audio. Or some students need longer to process, in which case they can really slow down the audio and you can change the speed to make it go slower than the narrator originally chose. These options are really great because you can customize it to each student. And I've had some students who actually really like listening to it on a hint faster than normal because then they can get their homework done. Because if they have to listen to two chapters and if they can change that from being a 20-minute thing to being a 15-minute thing, sometimes it makes their life a lot easier that they're done with their homework a lot sooner. Another option that is totally free is Bookshare. Bookshare's services are a little bit more limited, but they are an absolutely free service to somebody who has an impairment that keeps them from being able to read. So whether that's a visual impairment or a learning difference like dyslexia, they have free options. And a lot of times Bookshare is great for textbooks because Audible doesn't always have every textbook that might be in um, a regular school setting. A lot of times Bookshare, when people have a request that they really need access to a specific text for their, you know, their class or their course, then they have a reader do the Bookshare reading for it. I believe certain things are also done with more of a computerized voice and sometimes they're an actual person's voice. At least they were a long time ago. 
Um, I tend to prefer Audible over Bookshare, mostly because of the way that it's read. It sounds a lot more natural on the Audible narrators, but sometimes there can be barriers to that, whether that is cost or they don't necessarily always have every single book that you need. So Bookshare is another really great option that you can get absolutely free and it is essential. And they can also make it so you can change the text on a lot of these ones. So Kindle Unlimited and Bookshare can make it so you don't see as many words on the screen at a time. And that's super helpful because kids who are overstimulated and can't stay focused on all of the words, it sometimes they do a lot better if there's fewer words on a page. There's one other one called Learning Ally. And Learning Ally is another one that you can get approval because of a learning difference or some inability to read for visual impairment. With that, you can let it highlight the words on the page as well. If a student is really trying to read along and start getting better at recognizing words, I love that Learning Ally has it so that you can look at the words as you're going along so the student can start getting a little bit better at tracking and processing what the words look like. And so a word that used to look unfamiliar, if it's reading to the student on Learning Ally, then they can follow along with their eyes and know what that word looks like written down, especially those ones with those awkward spelling patterns that there's no way they otherwise would have recognized unless somebody explicitly taught it to them. Sometimes they can do a little bit through exposure of learning what some of those ambiguous spelling patterns look like when they're written down on paper for different words. All of those options make it so that students can access the different kinds of reading assignments that they might encounter in the classroom. It depends on what you're looking for, but there's lots of different options and you can even use a mixture of them. So some are paid, some are free, and some have a free version and then a more enhanced paid version. For example, Read and Write for Google, they have a really simple version that's free. It's free for all teachers as well. They have paid ones that have a few more features involved into it. There's built-in software into the computers. So look at your different devices. In the show notes, there's directions on how to do it on Apple because that's what I use all the time. Kindle Unlimited is great for just for fun reading. So if a student's just doing, you know, just a novel, something getting interested in books and building up that vocabulary, that one is great for different magazine subscriptions and you can use as many books as you want in a month. Audible, and they also have more textbooks added to Audible. And Bookshare is the free one. And that one has a little bit more limited services, but what they do is essential for all sorts of people who need that extra accommodation to have fair access to what they need. And lastly, we talked about Learning Ally, and that one I also really like. The kids enjoy it. They can have a little bookshelf, and they can pick their different books, as well as teachers are able to assign them a Learning Ally book. So if a teacher has a specific book that they want the kid to use, the teachers can assign it to them, too, if they're all hooked up to one um, main master account. I've learned at certain school districts, sometimes they automatically have that as part of their accommodations. You just have to ask for it. They sometimes already have an account with either Bookshare or Learning Ally. Sometimes they might have both. So start there first before doing a paid subscription. Sometimes you're able to utilize the subscriptions that the school is already paying for before you have to go out and buy yourself. So make sure to check your options first. Now for section two today, we are gonna be talking about writing accommodation. So our first set was all about things that are already written down and how to access it to listen to it. Our next section now is about what to do when you need to do the writing. There are so many things that we need to write these days. And one of the biggest things that you can do is the built-in speech to text. 
Sometimes students try to type things themselves. What can sometimes happen, especially if a student is more severely dyslexic or more severely has dysgraphia, then they might write down all their notes, but then they go back and look at it tomorrow and they have no idea what it says and nor do you. So it's really hard to have notes when you can't read them. They are no longer very meaningful and helpful if you can't read what those notes say. So we have to build in different strategies so that not only are you taking notes, but you can read them when you need to. Many devices have built-in speech-to-text now where you can talk and it'll go ahead and type it onto the screen. Sometimes those ones are more effective some days than others, or they can be impaired by a student's speaking ability. So if a student has a speech impediment or they mumble a lot, that can also hinder this. So it really depends on how good the software is that is built into your computer. Another choice is predictive text. I know a lot of students, at least a lot of the schools around here, they either get a Chromebook or an iPad, depending on which district they're in and what school that they're in. If a student is on an iPad, predictive text is one of the most amazing options. And as long as the student can recognize what the word is, if they start to type it and they're on track with spelling it somewhat close to correctly, then either autocorrect or predictive text can help fix the word and just enter it in for them. Then they don't have to spend so much time looking at how they're spelling it because it's already up there on the screen. They can just move on to the next word and they aren't spending as much time thinking about that spelling and more time thinking about the content that they're really supposed to be learning and taking notes on or writing about. Some schools actually deactivate that because they want students to practice their spelling. And so they turn off the feature of predictive text or they turn off the feature of autocorrect because they're trying to get the students to learn how to spell on their own which is fine for a typical learning student, but if you have a student with dyslexia or dysgraphia that is years behind their spelling ability, it can drastically affect their ability to get their work done in a reasonable amount of time. And so you may have to ask the school tech administrator to reactivate it. A lot of times they have the ability to push out certain skills onto specific devices without changing it for everybody. So that that way a student who has an approved accommodation can go ahead and have that adjusted on their network. So make sure you ask with the educators and the tech administrators of your child's school if you have a device that has been provided by the school because they have certain master controls on it. And sometimes you are not able to change some of the settings on your own. Other times, if they don't have those settings locked, you can just go to the settings platform on the actual device and change it yourself. Another choice is to allow students to have a note taker or to make a photocopy of a note that another student takes. So if there is a child in the class who already takes pretty great notes, just allowing them to photocopy those notes can be a huge help because they're spending more time listening to the lecture and paying attention to the content that they're trying to learn and less time trying to do all of the writing. Or if they don't know how to spell something, you might just skip it and just not write it down at all or they might know what the word is but not know what it looks like, especially if it's a science test or something. The words have all of those crazy silent letters. Like think about the word pterodactyl. It doesn't actually start with a T. And so they may not recognize that same exact word when they see it on a test. So if they have a peer who takes pretty great notes, that can be really helpful. So they can have the information that they need and are spending... They can have the information they need and are spending more time focusing on the content and are not going to miss out on certain key ideas just because they couldn't spell them. Another choice 
is to allow the student to take a picture of the board or have the lecture slides. So depending on how tech savvy the teacher is, some teachers are all about PowerPoints and Google Slides and things like that, that are really easy just to email or share or airdrop or whatever tech way of sharing information, whether that's on the school's classroom platforms to share the information so the student can pay attention to the, to the class and what you're trying to learn about and then still have all of the notes they need to pass the test or complete the assignment when they get home. As well as sometimes students with dyslexia or dysgraphia can have some working memory struggles or even just that basic word finding if they know the information like, what was it the teacher said? Something about make sure I do this first, but wait, which part did he say it should go first? Ugh, I don't remember. And anything we can do to take off some of that mental load to really just help them get the task done can be really important because even if a student is paying attention, that doesn't mean they can recall and use that information independently once they get home if it's not written down somewhere for them to have access to later. Another essential feature is spell checker. And a lot of computers have it already built into whether that's Microsoft Word or Google Docs or whatever it is. A lot of times they already have some sort of spell checker in the software on its own. So you might just have to make sure that it's activated and turned on because every once in a while they won't be automatically turned on. And you need to make sure that it's activated. One thing that I have become absolutely obsessed with is Grammarly. And it's funny because the other day I was helping a student with their own writing assignment and she's like, oh my goodness, you're like a walking Grammarly. And I don't think the student realized that teachers came first and not Grammarly because she was so used to using Grammarly whenever she works on her own. But when we're together, I would work with her and actually teach her the rules explicitly for what it is when she's making writing mistakes. And I thought it was really funny that she called me a human Grammarly. So Grammarly is a software that you can activate on your computer and they have both free and paid subscriptions. The free one is actually pretty awesome. The paid one is even better and checks for things like plagiarism and things like that. For Grammarly, I use it for everything and it has saved me from uh, a little snafu here and there many, many times. So for example, if I'm writing reports for five different students on their progress updates and I'm getting really tired because it's eight or nine o'clock at night, I might accidentally do a she instead of a he, or I might leave out a basic word in the sentence. I'll put the key things, but then leave out some sort of connector like and or of. And Grammarly can catch it right away. So it's not just checking for if your spelling is correct. It'll also let you know if you left a word out and a sentence doesn't really make sense. Or if you accidentally mixed up a pronoun, it does an amazing job of catching those things for you. And one thing that you may not realize, a lot of teachers who teach kids with dyslexia do it because they themselves are dyslexic. Over the past couple of years, I've been overseeing some teachers who are writing their reports where I'm not in charge of writing the student reports at the school anymore, but I help teachers who do. And when we do that, a lot of times we will do a peer review. And so, and it's not any sort of nitpicking thing about, you know, any mistakes they made. It's more of just getting a second set of eyes. And that is really important if you're able to get that for your student where there's just a second set of eyes to look at something before they submit it it can be super helpful. And one thing that I've helped mentor my teachers on is to go do a Grammarly check before you send something out. So it's a way to double check that you aren't making some sort of snafu before you hit send. And it's just a nice way to have that extra check. And even better than that, it tells you why it's wrong. Because there are certain senses 
I had no idea it was ever doing wrong. And not only does it tell you it's wrong, but it gives you a little comment box that pops up and says, this actually sounds like you probably meant to say this. Or it'll say, oh, this is really wordy. Here's an alternate way that you could phrase that same information. And it'll give you a completely different way to formulate the sentence so it speaks more clearly. And I find that really helpful because when you mean to say something, when you're typing, it doesn't quite come across the same way as when you're talking to an actual person because they can't always get your tone or your voice the way you meant for it to come across because they aren't hearing your voice. So Grammarly has really helped me to make sure that my tone is matching what I mean for it to be and I'm not coming across more harsh or more sarcastic than I mean to. Another choice when we are working with anything that's written is to really help the student with an outline. So outlines should be the basic template of what do you want this essay, when they submit it, what should it have included? And giving them an outline of first paragraph should be some sort of intro, second paragraph should be your argument, third paragraph should be your counter argument, and your fourth paragraph should be summarizing why your argument is better than the counter argument. Something along that line where it gives them the breakdown of what should the assignment look like overall. We're not giving them the content, you're not giving them the specific topic, but you are giving them the general script of what is it that you really want to see. Because sometimes that amazing dyslexic thinking allows the kids' brains to go in a million different directions. But sometimes those million different directions turn into a twisted circle of knots by the time you get it onto an essay. Anything that you can do to help the student with dyslexia to utilize their dyslexic thinking with a path and a trajectory to follow, that will make things a lot easier, both for you and for them, because the kids would be like, but wait, I had this really great idea. My teacher just crushed it and said my essay was terrible and I had to completely rewrite it because they didn't know what the teacher was expecting. They're not very good at seeing what somebody else sees as what the end goal is. They need you to provide. What is the end goal? What do you want them to do? What do you want them to get done? And then they can do it just fine but they need to be able to have someone to point out what is that end game? What should it look like? Short-term deadlines are also really important. So if you have a four-paragraph essay due in two weeks, setting little mini deadlines for them. Okay, so for today, I want you to do paragraph one. And we'll get back to the intro because when you have your three main ideas, sometimes it's easier to go back and write your introduction later on because it gives a preview of what's in the next three paragraphs. Or you might want them to do the intro paragraph of, you know, starting with their hook and what is it you want to do to grab the reader's attention. And then two days later, I would like a draft of paragraph, paragraph two. A couple days later, you might want a draft of the second paragraph. And a few days after that, a draft of the third paragraph. So that you're really breaking it down one section at a time and not just saying, hey, I want you to write an entire essay. Because that can be really overwhelming. If you can break down the exact same assignment, keep the same due date, and just work on that working backward strategy, and even teaching the student what you're doing and say, all right, your final essay is due on this day, but that's a lot of work. So instead of doing all the work tonight, we are going to just do this tonight. And then two days from now, we're going to just do this other one part and breaking it down so it's not so stressful for the student. Lastly, there is some new software for taking notes that I've actually only recently discovered. 
And I've now started to use for the transcripts for this podcast because there are people with hearing impairments that still need to learn new things. So I have the transcripts for each of these podcast episodes embedded in the show notes so that anybody who needs them can read them and catch the details. Or for example, if you listen to it in the car and you get back to school and you say, hey, what was that? That was that great point I really wanted to listen to. You can go back and check the notes, even if you're in a place where you can't actually turn on audio because there's other people around or whatever. You can look at the show notes and see the full transcripts of everything that we talk about. And I actually used a software to do it because I don't know about you, but I'm not going to listen to a 20, 25 minute episode and type every single word that I heard myself say. That's not going to happen. Same thing happens if a student is in class. If they are taking notes, even if they give them the option to record it, that'd be a lot of information to re-listen to to get to that one sentence you actually cared about. I actually used a new software called otter.ai, like otter, like the sea animal that lives in the ocean, .ai. They are able to pretty accurately transcribe, and I actually was pretty impressed by the fact there weren't nearly as many typos as when I've used other speech-to-text software, and it was able to take pretty accurate notes. And if you're in a setting that you can work in an office and you do a lot of Zoom meetings and things like that, there's a way that you can turn it on so it creates uh, notes for everybody in the group. So it outlines what everybody was talking about and it can really set up the different outlines. So that might be one that you would have to check with the group and make sure people are okay being recorded and transcribed because there's obviously certain privacy things for that one. But it could be something where if a student is just recording themselves talking out loud about what they learned about. Or if it is the student taking a verbal outline of what they want to write about in their essay. So when it comes time to writing, they already know exactly what it is they want to say. Some students do a really great job of talking what they want to say in their essay. But as soon as you give them a pencil or a keyboard, it all goes out the window. So if you can do something like use Otter to give some verbal notes of an outline of what you want the essay to say, or if you had a really great phrasing and you want to make sure you remember how you phrase a certain sentence... That is a great option to do notes where you can just talk and you can play the notes back. So it's not just that it types them down for you, it plays it back as well, which is super helpful for a student that can take notes and not know how to read them later. That could be a problem. All right, now to our last section for today, which is no tech accommodations. So a lot of the accommodations I talked about today were all about using technology because we live in a wonderful time in life where There are so many ways and resources that people can get by with dyslexia and can make it through life with a lot less stress because of technology. But it's important to think about the fact that there are many options that don't involve technology. The first one is built-in break routines. I can't even tell you how many breaks my students have taken, and they really truly need them. They're not just lacking. They're not just trying to get out of work. Sometimes just two minutes to play with some Legos in the middle of a session can completely turn around a child for the rest of the session and really enable them to better access the information. Give them something that, you know, gives them some sort of energy boost or whether that's a movement break or letting them go play hopscotch right outside the door or letting them do... There's different movement options like Go Noodle is a website that has all sorts of little movement brain break activities. So not just saying take a break and you just stand outside being all surly about how much you hate the writing assignment that you're doing, but making sure that when you take a break, there's an actual purpose to it. So something that gives you a calming effect or sometimes something that gives you an energizing effect, depending on whether you're draining when you need to perk yourself back up or if you're feeling a little overwhelmed and overstimulated, you might need something to calm you back down. 
And so doing some sort of built-in break routine after this many minutes, we'll take a break. Or at our halfway point of our session, we'll take a two-minute break, we'll set a timer and come right back to it. And making sure that they're limited so it's not just a student escaping for as long as possible to avoid the really challenging assignment. But more of an acceptable, totally normalized portion of the routine. And it can help all kids. It doesn't have to just be the student with a learning difference. It can be for all students. Hey, if you get 10 minutes of work done without me reminding you to get back to work, then you can have a two-minute break before we keep going. Another really simple one is just some extra time, but also shortened assignments. I'm saying them together because if you just extend the time of everything, like I talked about in episode one, suddenly you go from having an hour of homework to having two hours of homework. And if everything takes you twice as long as everybody else, it just makes it so much harder to really feel like you're ever catching up because you're always getting further and further behind. What can you do to shorten the assignment to still show exactly what you need to know, but maybe you can say what you need to know in two paragraphs instead of three if it's a really minor assignment. It's not like the critical assignment for the semester or the school year. And if it's a math assignment, maybe showing 10 problems instead of 15. And so you're still showing that you know how to do all of the concepts, but breaking it down so there's a little bit less. Another one are fidgets. And fidgets, I have very strict rules for kids that can use them. There are some kids I'm like, nope, don't own any any fidgets. I don't have any here. Sorry. Because I know it doesn't actually help them. They just like to play and then they get distracted and then nothing good comes of it. But I also know I have a couple other kids that those fidgets are the only way they pay any attention to me whatsoever. Thinking about fidgets as something that is a privilege. And if I notice you have it, it's no longer a fidget. It has now become a toy. If it is something you're absentmindedly doing that I don't even notice that you're doing, but you're still able to pay attention to me and recite back anything that we are working on, and if I've given you a direction, you heard me and you can repeat it back, then we're okay. But if it's something you're like, huh, what, what'd you say? Then that's no longer a fidget. That's just a toy that you're fiddling with that happens to look cute and you think is a fidget, but doesn't really work. So that's one where use it with a grain of salt. Well, some kids, they're great. Other kids not really the best option. So that's one where you have to decide if it's something that helps or hurts a student making progress. Another no-tech choice is the ability to work with a partner who has opposite strengths. So if the partner is really bad at coming up with ideas, but really great at writing, maybe you can have the dyslexic student who has all these great ideas, but a terrible job of writing them down. Maybe you can have them work together so that they can help build each other up utilizing each other's strengths because that's what really happens in the real world. There's very few jobs where you really do the entire job all by yourself. You utilize, you know, working in teams and different members of the team have different strengths. And if we can start building in that cooperative relationship and take off some of the burden off of each person so they can really focus on their strengths, that can be really helpful. Like I mentioned earlier, another really simple choice is a buddy that checks their work before hitting submit because sometimes a student might run a spell checker and everything's spelled perfectly, but maybe it wasn't the word you really meant to say. For example, I had one student who wrote terrorist and then instead of terrace. So the difference between a nice shaded patio and an armed person, and that could be very dangerous. And those were two very, very different words, but on paper, the student wasn't able to see the difference. And so by having one more person check it and notice, oh, you wrote a word that you definitely spelled correctly, but it isn't the word you meant for it to say, and helping them see 
those things before they hit send can be very supportive and prevent them from getting some sort of massive error that gets them into trouble or gets them a failing grade because it sounds like they don't know what they're talking about when really they just misspelled a word. Another one is utilizing a planner and having an assignment written on the board. So if a student's using a planner, but then they don't know how to spell what the assignment is, it's really helpful if the teacher just writes the assignment on the board. And I mean like a two, three word example of summer math packet. Doesn't have to be something that is something that's really long, but something that is clear and concise, not a ton of words, but when the teacher but when the student gets home, they know exactly what they need to get done. And it's very clear. And then they're focusing more on what the assignment is. I had one student that what they did at the end of every day was they went and took a picture of the teacher's board. And then when they got home, they looked at their pictures that were on their phone. And then they made sure they got all their assignments done. Sometimes with more modern things, some teachers are really good at posting all of the assignments online so the kids can go back and check them. So it depends on the teacher's different routines but the student needs to create a routine that matches what their teacher does so they can work in conjunction with one another. Lastly, making a checklist, especially for some of those more frequent routines. And we'll do another episode on executive functioning later, but one easy strategy is just to tape a routine into their cubby or onto their desk if they're a younger student. If they're an older student, having it clipped into the front or taped onto the inside of the front panel of their binder, of what their basic routine is, of what they should do when they get home. You know, empty out the papers you don't need anymore. You know, make sure you do your homework. Put your homework assignment back in your binder and put your binder back in your backpack. And whatever your routine is, trying to just have a really simple checklist located somewhere that the student can really easily find. All right. Thank you for joining us in today's episode. Let's go back and recap some of our our topics for today. So our first one was options for listening to text because there's a lot of text when a student is in school and even in life. So there are many, many different options and you can pick which one works best for you or just best for that particular task. Some tasks I might prefer one option over the other. Then we talked about options for writing and some accommodations for when a student is writing. And last, we talked about some no tech accommodations. Last, we talked about some no-tech accommodations and some options that you have. So thank you so much for joining in today's episode. Make sure you send me a message about what accommodations that you like to use the most. And if there's any that I've forgotten, let me know, and I'd be happy to share those. Sometimes there's so many in my head that I can't always remember as we are recording some of these things, but I can always add them into future episodes. So if there's one I left off or maybe one I don't even know about yet and you've discovered, please share it with me and I'd be happy to share with other listeners. All right, thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Dyslexia Devoted. Join us for our next episode by subscribing to this podcast as we devote each episode to different aspects of dyslexia. See you next time. (laughs) 